It is the Bible Idiots Podcast with Chris and Emily. We are so glad you are with us. This week, it is spring break, and so we are bringing you long-form teaching each and every day, Monday through Friday. And today, Chris is bringing us a message out of Romans chapter 15, and the title of it is Capacity and Limitless. Capacity and Limitless. Here's Pastor Chris. Well, today... We're going to be talking about capacity. It's been a big subject, capacity. I uh, love college football. And when you watch the college football games and you go to different markets, which we've had a privilege of being in a bunch of different markets. And this is our first Big 12 experience. So when you turn on the TV and you see Oklahoma against Iowa State and you see uh, Kansas State against whoever they played. Who'd they play, Christian? Texas Tech, yes. Just, it's just different. When you live in Alabama, it's SEC everywhere. When you live up north, it's the Big Ten everywhere. But capacity in those stadiums was quite interesting. Um, I got adopted into the Auburn family when we were in Alabama, and I, I love Nick Saban in Alabama, don't get me wrong, but uh, War Eagle was kind of what was our mantra for four years when we were there. And to see the Georgia Stadium with the social distancing, the capacity, to see the different stadiums around the country as we watch college football, it, it made me think about the capacity that these stadiums have and how they're not using their capacity. And yet Jesus gives us a, a, an unlimited amount of capacity, but we set that level. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Our text is a short one, but there's a lot of scripture coming. So... Uh, just be prepared for it. It's one verse. It's in Romans 15, 13. And it reads this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just ask that this be your words and not mine. Be a, give a big blessing to your children as we Look at the limits that we set in our own capacity. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with some questions. First of all, have you ever heard a phrase so often it becomes like white noise? It just, you hear it, but you don't really hear it. Does that make sense? Like, for example, how about the phrase... The Vikings are going to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> Emily can tell you that for 36 years of marriage, she's heard it every August. And my guy, Kirk Cousins, can't stop getting sacked in the end zone, so I don't think this is going to be the year. But she just tunes it out. You know, and what, what about this? What about Jesus died for my sins? What about Jesus died on the cross for my sins? Does that ever become like white noise for you? How many times have you heard it? How many times has it been said in your presence? How much of this white noise in a church culture that America has become in the different communities we've lived in? It's one of the things I love about Lifehouse. This is not really a church culture. Some are de-churched, some are unchurched. Some people just come because they love Jesus. Other people have a long church history, and this is now their church home. But I wonder how often that phrase and the phrases like it, the Christianese, repetitive, flippant, you know, just stale, lacking depth and meaning, 
do we have in our life? And then I ask myself, shouldn't the presence of the Lord, at whatever level you're at in Christianity, shouldn't the presence of the Lord, the promises of God, the life of being redeemed, I don't know, be more some days? You know, in the Truth Project, uh, Del Tackett, the Truth Project is a 10-part series that came out in the mid-2000s, and it's an incredible, incredible journey through the truth of God's word. And the host of it, his name is Del Tackett, and it was put out by Focus on the Family. But there's one question that surrounded the Truth Project. You know what it was? It was this. Do you really believe what you believe is really real? It's a fair question. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Today we're going to talk about faith joy, and hope, and what limits we put on the capacity to experience each. But first, I want to take you to a mountain. And I want you to take you to the base of a glorious mountain. And it's a short story that was written by Richard Blackaby. Many of you know Henry Blackaby and Experiencing God, but you don't know that his oldest son, Richard, actually helped write that along with a bunch of other works. And uh, uh, Richard Blackaby is just, he's one of my spiritual mentors in his writings, because he's so honest. And so I lifted part of this story from, from, from Richard straight up. But it's so, it will help us so much this morning together if today we go mountain climbing, all right? Each person who becomes a Christian is like someone who's invited to climb a majestic mountain. People respond differently to such a glorious opportunity, and some never leave the foot of the mountain. They look up at its grandeur and they feel overwhelmed and inadequate to take on such a challenge. So they, they just remain right where they are. Others begin the journey up the slope. They quickly find hidden meadows just past the base, and they encounter some awesome ice-cold streams rushing down from above. Now, during the initial ascent, the slope is gradual. The path is wide and well-traveled. There are numerous signs of many others having passed this way before. And at the end of the day's journey, the weary climbers settle down to make camp for the night, and sitting around the campfires, they tell of their day's adventures. It's a time of great fellowship. As various pilgrims relate their experiences, they enjoy one another's company. Now the next day, the climbers prepare to push on to the next height, but not everybody's going. Some travels, you know, they, they, some travelers, they complain about the sore feet. Uh, they decide to rest for a time besides, before they set out on the trail again. Because this isn't going to necessarily be easy, but oh, it's so rewarding. Some have made new friends along the way, and they just choose to linger behind. Others simply grow content for now with the tranquility of the campsite. And they lack the motivation to discover anything more, anything new. But there are those that keep going. The trail appears less traveled, but it's still clearly marked as it climbs towards the peak. The slope is steeper here and somewhat narrower. And the views are more impressive than what they were the first day. And uh, some of the travelers, they start to express regret about those that stayed behind, what they're missing out on, what they could have experienced. They could have had this awesomeness that is now upon them. And they hope it won't be long before the others resume their climb. But as the days pass, each morning finds fewer and fewer hikers setting out on the climb, and the pathway continues to grow more narrow and more difficult at times to follow. 
Now the incline grows steeper and it requires greater effort, but the rewards are even more awesome. It's more demanding, but the scenery is more spectacular. Now, although it isn't hard to find reasons to turn back, there are plenty of aches and pains. Some travelers develop conflict with a few fellow hikers along the way. Others note in frustration that the summit just never seems to get there. But a handful of dedicated and determined hikers continue to move upward, each at his or her own pace, and as they reach greater heights and discover more stunning scenes of beauty, they can't find words for what they're actually experiencing. They've been through so much. Each knows the enormous effort the others have made to make it to reach the heights of the mountain that they are at. And each has been tempted to stop and or to return to where they've been. But all have overcome such enticements and pressed forward many times through great pain. They seldom men mention their former companions anymore. Why would you? What's the point? Everyone understands that what they're viewing now will probably not be witnessed by those who stayed behind. Now, eventually, the trail just completely disappears. And now you're on rugged slopes and it appears that hardly anyone has ever reached this height before. Painfully and gratefully, they reach this beautiful, breathtaking crest only to discover it's not really the summit after all. The summit is a little bit higher up in the clouds. And so the majesty of that, they keep pressing forward. They keep going and they press on. Knowing the Lord Jesus is like climbing that mountain. The ascent is available to all, but not everyone actually reaches the same level. And understanding that will actually help you grow in your faith. Each of us needs to decide how much effort to expand to reach the heights. Each of us ultimately decides how far or how high we will go. Now, today I want to take a look at what the Bible describes as our own capacity limits and how through a deeper surrender, what limits us can be blown open by the Son of God. First up is faith, from which our text in the... Uh, ESV, or the CSB, is the word believe. In the NIV, it's the word trust. And our first point in our notes today is faith capacity. Christ will disclose to us only as much of himself as we have the capacity to receive. Christ will disclose to us only as much of himself as we have the capacity to receive. So let's look at two examples found in Scripture. First, turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We learned about Elisha a little bit in the previous weeks. And I'm going to read all seven verses. One of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, has died. You know that your servant feared the Lord. Now the creditor is coming to take away my two children as his slaves. Elisha asked her, What can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. Then he said, go out, borrow empty containers from all your neighbors. Do not get just a few. Then go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all these containers. Set the full ones to the side. So she left. And after she had shut the door behind her and her sons, they kept bringing her containers and she kept pouring. When the 
When they were full, she said to her son, bring me another container. But he replied, there aren't any more. Then the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now, if God gave you that message, straight up, how many pots would you collect? And when would you feel like enough is enough? See, Elisha knew that the only limit to what God would do was how aggressively this woman believed and obeyed. At some point, the woman and her sons felt like they had enough, right? So the woman began pouring from the last of her resources into these borrowed pots. She had a jar of oil. And the oil flowed unhindered, miraculously, until she had filled the last pot. Now, seeing the miracle continue to unfold, the woman cried out, bring me another one. But they had shut the door behind them, and then the oil ceased. She sold off what what she received and paid her debts. And they lived on the rest. Now, the the, the flow of oil ceased because, watch this now, because the widow had no additional capacity to receive anything more from God. She was incapable of receiving more. Had she collected more containers aggressively, she would have received more oil and more money, right? Right? Pretty simple. In the world of it is what it is, God responded to the level of her faith. Now, did the widow sin by not gathering more pots? Of course not. No. She received according to her faith. Look, God invites each of us to prepare for what he intends to do in our lives. It's, it's, it's really simple. And we can and often do set the limits on what God's going to do in our lives. And as leadership... In the church, we can set limits on what God's going to do in the church. As members of the church or as visitors or as regular attenders or fill in the blank, you can set limits for what God's going to do for you through LifeHouse. What God's going to do through you throughout the community. Listen now, I believe God is going to do in our life is to expand our trust and faith capacity in Him. Then we must gather an enormous amount of pots and position ourselves rightly. That's what Reboot Sunday is all about, right? Because we believe God will do a fantastic, amazing, beyond our abilities work that glorifies the king and his kingdom. Another solid biblical example is found in the book of Mark. Let's turn over to the book of Mark, chapter 9. Now to review before we read, Jesus and the boys are coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and what do they find? Keep this in mind now. The other disciples who had already been very successful in casting out demons and performing ministry around the region, they were getting shut down by the demon that controlled this guy. Let's pick it up in verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. 
So they brought the boy to him, and the spirit saw him. It immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, the man said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Here we go. Jesus, verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can, question mark, everything is possible for the one who believes. Here it is, verse 24. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, cried out, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. It says it all right there. Verse 23, if I can, everything is possible for one who believes. The response, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? For those of us who want to live a limitless life, who want to have greater capacity, that's the mantra that Jesus is giving you and me today in October of 2020. I believe, help me with my unbelief. Now hold that thought. Let's segue to joy. Joy capacity. Jesus wants our joy to be complete. Jesus wants our joy to be complete. John 15.11. John 15.11 says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. No one can take it from you. John 16. 22. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. And then Paul and Silas in Acts 16, 25 through 32. This is an amazing text. In Acts 16, 25 through 32, some really serious stuff is happening here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. Then the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open. He drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. First of all, how could they sing like that after all they'd been through? I mean, these two guys were abused unfairly. If you read the, read the text, we look around our country right now and we watch what the, how the news media treats so many things unfairly. But they made a choice. I got to be honest, who, who, who would blame Paul and Silas if they chose resentment to overtake their hearts at that moment in time? Instead, they allowed Christ to fill them with his joy. They chose joy. And don't you see a completeness there with how they dealt with the jailer? See, we very easily determine the level of joy we experience from God. Have you ever thought about that? No one can steal your joy, but we can surrender it at any point we choose. 
We ourselves determine our own joy threshold. We decide the level of discomfort at which we're going to yield our joy to our circumstances. And I wouldn't blame Paul and Silas if they yielded right here, but they chose not to. They sang praises to Jesus instead. See, some folks have an extraordinary low threshold for joy. And I used to be that guy. I still stumble back into being that guy. I mean, a car cuts you off and your joy is out the window. My son Jake tells a true story of him and I driving on the I-17 in Phoenix, Arizona, where I'm literally being the dad to my teenage son. And I'm saying, Jake, the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ is worth everything no matter what you do. You got to... Would you look at this guy? What a moron! <laughs> so Jake, it's about the peace and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> And you hired that guy as your pastor. <laughs> the blame here is 50-50, all right? See, the joy-dissolving triggers are various, and they are different for everyone. For some, any form of criticism or a lack of appreciation just wipes away their joy. Joy's thieves are many. On the low end, you've got the unexpected bills, job dissatisfaction, a computer malfunction, a delayed flight. On the high end, there's more serious things like death of a loved one, divorce, critical illness, extreme financial hardship. All of these can be devastated, devastating to you. But do they get the right to steal the joy from your life? The eternal joy that is only found in Jesus Christ. And those of you who have started up the mountain know that joy. Those of you who are higher up on the mountain know that joy. In every circumstances and situation, we decide if that specific is significant enough to steal our joy. So what is your joy threshold today? That segues to our next question. What do you hope in and what do you hope for? From our text today, point number three is we are going to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are going to overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can today, biblically, refuse to accept the current limits you yourself have put there, whether consciously or unconsciously. Now, this is not some best life now garbage, and every day is not a Friday, okay? This is surrendering your life your will, your everything to bring glory to the one true God. To reflect the presence of the King of Kings. And then God, using you as a true servant to accomplish his goals, which will take you to walking at a level with the Lord that is hard to put into words. We experience and address our spiritual limitations. Try and remember Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, 7 through 9. Isaiah 55, 7 through 9 says, Let the wicked one abandon his way, and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. Freely forgive. And then, <coughs> here it is. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, is the Lord's declaration. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. 
upon returning to the Lord, refuse to accept the limits, and some incredible things are going to happen. Another analogy I want to give you is that Mount Everest in 1852, Mount Everest was identified as the tallest point on the globe at 29,028 feet. So what happened? People are people, right? They started vying to be the first person to reach the top of the world. Oh, what a feat that would be. And over the next century, at least 15 expeditions were documented that set out to reach the summit, resulting in at least two dozen documented deaths. And with oxygen dangerously thin at that altitude, the treacherous crevices in the shifting snow made scaling the mountain seem physically impossible. It was the great impossibility. And then finally, on May 29th, 1953, Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay were the first people to reach the top. They instantly became international heroes, and Hillary was eventually knighted. And what had, happened, what had appeared uh, impossible had at last been accomplished. And in the ensuing years, many people made the summit, but only after Hillary and Norgay proved it was possible. Another year later, one year later, another physical limit was overcome. You guys know what it is? The four-minute mile. No one had run it in history, but Roger Bannister was a British medical student. He was intrigued with this record that kept the best athletes at bay, and it was known as unbreakable. But on May 6, 1954, at the Ifleet Road Track in Oxford, Old Raj took to running on that day, and he finished the mile in 3 minutes, 59.4 seconds. The impossible was broken. Now, stay with me. Like Hillary, Bannister was a global hero, eventually knighted. But get this. After having over 100 years of people trying to break the four-minute mile, Bannister does it in May of 1954. How long does that record stand for? Less than two months. Less than two months later, a runner named John Landry of Australia bested Raj with a time of three minutes and 57.9 seconds, and then others quickly followed. Now, why? Because once you know something's possible, you can go along too which is why anybody here who's on the higher heights can encourage people to come up with them. It's like that way in sports, right? Someone sets a record, someone tries to break it. In fact, most competitors work hard to break their own best time. Now, I have a racing simulator, and I've had it for years, and I keep trying to update it as, as God allows, but we have a game called Gran Turismo. This game, Gran Turismo, has, a, has where you can run a, a, a road course, and then the best time turns into a ghost car. If you don't know what a ghost car is, is that that car is on the track every lap as the best lap. So it, it's, it, you can't, if you run into it, you, you go through it. It's a ghost car. It doesn't affect your lap. But you can see where the fastest lap is. So me and my sons at Christmas every year, we go to a course, and somebody puts up a fast time, and somebody beats it. Somebody beats it again. Somebody beats it again. We'll start out with like a 58-second lap, and before you know it, we're at a 49-second lap as we keep getting better and better and better. And my oldest son is quite the wheel man, and he put up a time of like 49.233 seconds. And no matter what Jake and I tried to do, we could not beat that time. And he just got some sort of launch off the last corner. We'd be ahead of him, and then that ghost car would just inch by. 
And we'd end up with 49 threes and 49 fours, and we couldn't beat it. And I'm like, I give up, and I went to bed. One Christmas, Jake stayed up till 5 in the morning till he could show us that he got a 49.175 because he wasn't going to let his brother have the final say. So I look around today, and I feel that this church already possesses some Hillary's, some Bannisters, some Jake staying up till 5 a.m. To, 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 to get the best time. We're, we're here, we trust, we believe upon God, and we refuse to accept the spiritual limits that have stalled out other Christians and take them past their own limitations. People will pay the price and surrender to go to a level with God that no one in their generation has yet witnessed. And some of those folks come to this church. And some of you don't even know it's you. Don't you want to see what it looks like to overcome the spiritual limits and to experience faith, trust, belief, joy, and hope relating to a God in a whole new, higher dimension? Do you believe what you believe is really real? Because if it is, Richard Blackaby gives us four things to review. They are straight from his book, and I got them printed in your notes today. A, B, C, and D. A, God wants us to overcome our spiritual limits. B, God is ready to give his people victory in every area of life. C, we must make every effort to incorporate God's promises into our life. Every effort. And D, the rewards for striving for higher levels with God cannot be measured. So what holds us back? Sin holds us back. Pride holds us back. Various levels of failure hold us back. And then here's a big one. Various levels of success hold us back. Powers in prayer and in love, specifically the love that comes from Christ that's authentic. And that love comes from Christ in a unique and biblically way tied to the surrender for this life for the one to come. Every Thursday in October, this church is offering you an opportunity from 5 to, 9, or 5 to 8 p.m. Somebody says, oh, I don't, can't give up three hours for a prayer meeting. It's not a three-hour prayer meeting. Most people are here 10 minutes. But it's here for you to just come and to pray and to say, God, I want to go deeper with you. I want to pray for the country. I want to pray for Abilene. I want to pray for Lifehouse. I want to pray for my, my spouse, my children, my, my in-laws, my fill in the blank. Jesus said, whoever loves this world and this life is not worthy of the Savior. Whoever loses his life finds it. Are you familiar with that? I talked to you about the DPC a few weeks back, about the dead person charter. See, that was needed in my life because we were spent, we were burnt out, and even though things seemed to be working out in spite of our bumbling, stumbling, and, and tumbling, we didn't have the proper peace nor the vision at that moment to execute a daily walk with Christ in a way that lined up with the biblical mandates of a true servant, slave of Jesus Christ. We felt there was a higher level. And to someone, it was, in fact, Surrendered, And it took us to a place of whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I didn't choose Abilene. God chose Abilene for me. And guess what? You're here. So God chose Abilene for you too. And some of you are going to go to a higher place and you're going to have to leave Abilene. And God's going to take you to a new place. 
But for most of you, it's right here. This is it. This is where the mountain's to be climbed. And Lifehouse Church says, look, this is base camp. And this base camp is going to be filled with everything that you need to make your climb. Because the understanding, the limitlessness of Christ, we can go forward with rock-solid confidence that the God of the universe loves us and will provide everything that we need to make any, each, and all of us and our list that he gives us a success for his kingdom, not in man's eyes. And when I say the list, I'm talking about the list that we all have. The Lifehouse list. For you, it can be whatever it is that you're doing. For us, whether it's the Bible Idiots or whether it's the next service or whether it's the chili that we're going to eat after this service before the next one, starting the 11 a.m., whatever it is, we're going to do it with this belief and this enthusiasm that we don't conjure up. Man, I hate fake enthusiasm. I call it car salesman enthusiasm. <laughs> then every time I hear the phrase, Jesus died on the cross for my sin, my heart leaps with gratitude. And I don't have to fake anything. And it'll always be the greatest of sacrifice in all of human history. And then when we do things for the kingdom, we come through the tunnel with that game seven look in our eyes. This is why we play the game. We're ready for what happens. And we're excited for people to walk through the church door. We're praying with aggression. There's no fakey fakeness about everything. Everything is authentic because we got nothing else. There's nothing else. Jesus is all we have. He's all we want. And everything else flows from that. And then we in our ignorance and our sinfulness, we get away from it. But we come back because we believe what we believe is really real. In 2003, a band called Fusebox released a song called Once Again. It's going to play at the end of the service today. This song, when we had a radio station for all those years, I said, no matter what, I don't care if it fits or not, this song will always stay in some sort of rotation. And when we had the internet radio station for five years, which Jay Johnson, broadcasting from Abilene, was with us for all five of those years, I said, this song stays in rotation no matter what. And the chorus goes like this. Once again, I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again, I thank you. And once again, I pour out my life. And then about three quarters of the way through the song, the band breaks into a chorus run, like an anthem run. And he says, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. And the song ends with, Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. What a way to transition into communion. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Your sacrifice is so incredible. Lord, just hold on to us. Let us hold on to you. Let us, like Jacob, just hold on for the blessing. And as we look to your communion table now, let it do, a, do this in remembrance of the great sacrifice and how awesome of a path you've put us on, on this hill you're asking us to climb. It's in your strength, Lord, that we do the effort, but you still, like Joshua and Caleb, have told us we have to go take the land. So we ask for your insight, your peace, and your wisdom.
And we do believe in you as our Savior. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.